Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to yet another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. We are a patient engagement and retention strategy firm. We fill clinics with clients and patients who are both engaged and truly value the services that your organization provides. If you want to learn more about that, you can head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. That's rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com. Okay, what do we have going on this week? This week, we are taking a step back again from the direct patient care side of things and looking more at the leadership, administrative, and really the HR perspective of running a healthcare organization effectively and developing the culture that both incentivizes and encourages patient and client-centered care. My guest this week is Brandon Siegel. He's a published author. He's an internationally recognized consultant in this space, and uh, he's a serial entrepreneur per his bio. Um, He is the CEO of Fly High Business Builders, the president of Wellness Works Management Partners, and the COO of Every Child Achieves. Siegel brings nearly 20 years of executive leadership experience, empowering workforces of all sizes in reaching new levels of engagement, empowerment, and success. Throughout his career, uh, Brandon's empowered entrepreneurs throughout the United States to streamline operations, build winning teams, implement effective business models, and ultimately transform their ventures for optimal success. Um, So what we talked about, Brandon and I, was really around the idea of how we compensate our staff and clinicians. So we talked a little bit about hiring, onboarding, recruitment. We talked about creative uh, compensation strategies that incentivized uh, really what we want to incentivize, right, which is client-centered care, but also um, staff and, and clinicians in this case that really have a eye and a heart on forwarding and advancing the mission of the organization. So Brandon talks a little bit about his process for recruiting and hiring and screening candidates before they even get to the point of of receiving an offer from an organization, all the way down to the nitty gritty of what what does the payment structure look like what is the best way to compensate um, an individual who is, let's say, an outpatient therapist or something like that in a way that's more, um, more than just com- uh, compensating them based off of productivity standards or units build or utilization or something like that. So hopefully this uh, conversation 
gives you some insights, some practical tips and strategies that you can take away and implement in your own practice or organization to start building the team and the culture that you want at your organization that will help you fulfill the mission, the vision, the values that you have at your organization or department. So without any further ado, here's Brandon Siegel talking about um, HR, hiring, and uh, retention and recruitment of employees. All right. Well, hey, Brandon, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being on. It's a it's a cold, rainy, well, not really cold, but it's a rainy day here in, in Georgia. I don't know about where you're at. We're we're in Florida, so we've got oh, humidity nice. and uh, bathing suit weather as well. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we dive into all things HR and strategic, why don't you give us a little background about yourself, um, what got you to where you're doing now, and kind of what you're doing now. Awesome. Well, yeah. So, uh, ironically, on a high level, my entire life, my parents told me I was going to be a business person. I fought it um, until the day I graduated college. Um, ended up having a lot of success helping a lot of different entrepreneurs in my early stages of my career. Went on to get my my master's in, in business and kind of do all of that. And then I came into this crazy world of healthcare through my wife, who is an occupational therapist, and my mother-in-law, who's an occupational therapist, and my brother-in-law who's an occupational therapist and (laughs) ended up really um, recognizing that there is this need of coupling the purpose of, you know, practitioners, healthcare practitioners, whether it be OTs, PTs, speech language pathologists, physicians, functional medicine, and business. And so um, really what I ended up creating was a deconstructed management service organization where I am supporting over 350 practices throughout the United States with purpose-driven entrepreneurs, where basically I'm trying to be the COO in their pocket. So everything from how we hire, how we lead, how we create efficiency at scale, how we innovate and create optimized outcomes, both on a business practice, but an engagement practice. And so over 20 years of business expertise, and I've kind of dialed it into the health, wellness, and education sectors. All right. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about then HR, all things HR, right? Um, yep. Not so much specifics, but really that high-level strategic that you're so well-versed in. So let's say, for example, somebody's maybe right out of school or maybe they've been practicing for a little bit and they, they get this idea, I'm going to start a practice, right? And it's just them. Yep. They might have somebody you know, running the front desk while they're seeing patients and then their team starts to grow. Kind of what's the first bump in the road that they that they meet on that kind of scaling to bigger team? What's the first HR problem they run into? Well, first thing we got to talk about just on a high level is we have to define, are they an employer or contractor? Because in our space, that's a whole strategic and and that is strategic as much as it's compliance. And I think that's really important. The other thing I just want to kind of name from an analogy standpoint is I find in our industry, people just assume the best in others. And I think that we forget that strategy is not just about clinical skill set, but it's about mindset of the employee, what their needs, wants, desires are, and and how they want to co-create with us in a clinical space. And so, you know, looking at we're in, you know, when we look at sports and we look at team sports, you know, private practice is a team sport in my opinion. And you don't see Tom Brady just, you know hire or recruit any wide receiver. His goal is to find people that he can bring out the best in. I mean, when we look at, again, just kind of in this analogy, 
I don't think um, Wes Welker would have been known as one of the greater wide receivers if it wasn't for his relationship with Tom Brady and that leadership of bringing the best out of his skill set. And so I think we have to look at the same thing in private practices. How are we hiring? Who are we looking for? What are the needs, wants, and desires? And can we bring out the best in who we bring onto our team? And I think sometimes we forget that when we're starting out and we're like, oh, you know, this, this clinician, they worked for a children's hospital as an example. So they've got to be great, but they don't have to be great. And, and I want to be very transparent. They may have the clinical skill set, but how we recruit, attract, and optimize mindset, skill set, needs, wants, desires is so crucial in the private practice sector because what I find is we sometimes only focus on clinical skill set and resume, and we miss all of the beingness of the clinician, how they work, the way that their motor functions, and how they can execute. Because private practice and hospital are totally different. Private yeah. practice and skilled nursing are totally different. So I'm sure you've experienced it as well, just that idea of like, are they a fit and how do we define fit? And so I think that's the starting point is one, who are we trying to attract and, and how do we measure fit with them and our organization? Yeah. And what's, what's kind of like the benchmark that you, you give clients for that? Like, okay, so we decided we're looking for hiring for fit. We want someone that's going to fit into the culture of the organization. Where do we start? Do we have to like come up with mission, vision, values? Like how, how do we do that? So first and foremost, I think we have to understand and be self-aware of what our organization represents. Who are we? Who's best attracted? What are our expectations? What type of productivity level? What are the intangibles that someone brings to the table? We kind of have to like paint this picture of our ideal team member. And, and, and so are we a mentorship clinic? Are we looking for someone who's experienced? Are we, what are the attributes that we look for in someone? Like, oh my gosh, they've been working since they were 15 years old. They've got that natural understanding. Or are we looking to mold the baby bird and bring them to life? Like, what are those? So first and foremost, we have to know internally who works best in our organization. And, and from that, I think mission and values are very critical because at the end of the day, mission and vision, every decision we make should align with that mission or vision. Now, I personally think of mission and vision a little bit different than, than other people. Um, I look at first and foremost, our why. Why are we here? Like, why are we doing this on the highest level? And how do we plan to execute it? And our clinicians have to align with the how and the why, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but once we've named, quote unquote, you know, this is the type of, of beingness, this is the type of mindset, this is the type of work ethic, it's going to sound funny, but we have to trick people into being authentic. And so we can't just look at the resume and fall in love. This is not like a, a dating profile where it's like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> great. Like they, they like, it's so funny because I actually met my wife through a dating profile and I, everyone says, what attracted you to your wife? You know, and I really, honestly speaking, she laughed because it was one statement. It was, I'm the type of girl that can watch football with you. Well, just so everyone knows, I missed everything else she wrote and come to, you know, we've been married for going on 14 years. Uh, she does not like football, does not watch football, everything. So sometimes what I'm saying is 
We get jaded by what we see on this resume that we forget to ask the follow-up questions or to go through that dating process to ensure that both parties, this is a fit, optimum fit component. So I'm a big believer in a multi-step interview. And so right now, from a recruitment standpoint, I'm just being transparent. I am, I've used every applicant tracking software you can think with. Um, I love Indeed. I think Indeed comes out with some great things. And right now I'm a big fan of Indeed has a pay per application. And I like that. It's a really good budgeting measure. And what I do in that Indeed platform, just so that everyone knows, is I first set up application questions and I ask them to fill them out. And here is an example of the questions I ask when I'm starting this phase one of FIT. Why are you currently seeking new employment? What is your motivator for seeking new employment? I want to see if they're transparent. I want more money. I want a different setting. I'm relocating. What, why? What's your why for looking for new work? The next thing is, and I get the elephant out of the room. What is your desired compensation or earning potential in year one, year three, and year five of your, of your next level employment? Let's get that out of the wall. I don't want to talk clinical. I don't want to talk anything else. Let's just get our meat and potatoes on the table. And compensation is number one because no one wants to say it. They think it's all about stigma and it's all about purpose. But the bottom line is we all need to eat and, and money puts food on our table. And so if we, and we're in a fee for service model for those who are in private practice. So if we don't get that elephant out of the room, we're going to run down a really ugly route. After that, I asked, what is meaningful to you in your next state of employment? Is it benefits? Is it continuing ed? Is it mentorship? Is it time off? Is it the clinical demographic? I want to know these things. So those are three primary questions I want just in that application. Then I use the phone screening uh, component because I really want to hear their voice. And I also will sometimes do a um, skills test. Why am I doing all of this? I want to see who's really jumping through the hoops. When I'm hiring, I'm hiring for like ideally a life partner in my organization. I don't want just a, a stepping stone. So some of these hoops help kind of bring the, the cream rises to the top. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of you are going to say, Brandon, it is so hard to hire right now. How can I throw these things and whatnot? My concern is that if you take the shortcuts to attract just a licensure person, your retention is going to go down. You're going to have people, lots of turnover. And so I always say, you know, you can have uh, five spouses and marry five times. <laughs> I want to marry once. And so I am willing to wait and fight for the right person in that. Now, once they complete, let's just say that they complete some of it, but they don't complete all of it. I will personally reach out and say, you know, Rafi, you, you seem like an ideal candidate for this role. And we would love to consider you. Would you mind completing the following steps just so that we can make sure that you are reviewed by our entire clinical leadership team? That will spark, I'll give them 48 hours to do that. From there, I decide, did I get enough information that's worth a virtual interview? And if not, and they were short-sighted, I'm going to do what I call an email interview. My email interview is to do two things, to identify how their communication is written and to see if they can complete a task on time. One of the barriers that we have and don't get documentation in time or they're slow, this is a great way to measure, can they complete a task on time? 
So I'm going to then email and, and basically, you know, dear blank, and I'm going to say, thank you so much for your interest in our role. You have been selected as a potential candidate for our role. And we would like to get the following feedback for the next five questions so that we can greater identify if our employment opportunity aligns with your professional goals. And we need feedback from you within the next three business days for you to advance to our next stage of our interview process. That gives them a window where it's a start and a finish. And I will call them after I send that email to say, hey, I just sent you an email. We have a window of the next 72 hours where we're accepting responses for this. Please respond. If you're no longer being considered, just let me know. The farther, the more hoops that someone jumps through, the more that they actually get bought into this interview process, just so we know. And what I find is as I get farther along in the interview process, the candidates start to rise to the top. And what goes from all of a sudden now, I know what their needs, wants, desires are, so that when I interview them, I can target how our opportunity aligns with their needs, wants, desires. From that email interview, I will set up usually an in-person or Zoom interview, depending on what's going on in life and everything. And that's where we start to get fit. And that's where we start to dig into what clinical skill sets, you know, did you really feel advanced you in your career so far? What are the different diagnoses you're comfortable? Um, if I could send you to a continuing ed course tomorrow, what course would you choose? I start to see where their passions and their purpose align. And then our final interview is usually um, uh, what I call is an, a job observation interview. And I do this whether it's clinical or admin. I want you to come in and spend two hours with us. It is voluntary, but this allows you to align to see how we perform in the job and how your fit is to that performance. And we're going to get you engaged and involved in doing different things. By the end of that observation interview, we're ready to make an offer. Only the best do that. And in that offer, I want to be very clear. I discuss an offer before I present it. So I'm going yeah. to actually say, hey, this is what your, your job looks like. This is where our trajectory is. And I set forth milestones for the next 18 months for that employee. So they know if they're signing on an opportunity line, they know not just what today is, but what the next six months is, what the next 12 months is, what the next 18 months is. So we're getting intrinsic motivation to be part of us for a minimum of 18 months of commitment for continuity of care, professional growth and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very uh, robust system you've got in place there. So I do, I'm going to, we're going to back up and kind of like pick into each section and kind of see, um, maybe put, tease out some details. But I do want to back up to what you said right at the beginning that you're you're looking to hire someone for the long term. So I know there's a couple of different schools of thought when it comes to hiring employees. You've got those folks that are like, well, just given the organization and where we're headed and the way our like our strategic interests are are made up, like we're okay with with maybe new grads coming and using us as a stepping stone into another job, or maybe we're going to give them the tools to kind of go do something else, like. When it, when it comes to that continuity of care to building like a successful, sustainable model of employee recruitment, because that's kind of what we're talking about, like having a pipeline of, of employees or, or candidates that are going to be filling these positions, like what is kind of that ideal time frame? Are we looking for somebody that's, that's going to be there for 10 years? Are we looking for somebody that's going to be there for five years? Like, or so is it going to be my, entirely different for different clinics? So I think it depends on your business model. 
So that's the first thing. So are we transactional or are we transrelationship based? I, transrelational. We need to yeah. decide that side. So I say that and I mean no disrespect. I used to own a home health agency. Home health tends to be more transactional. And so it's literally just like, look, we want team members that are here. They can build. What do you want on your plate? As much, as little, as short, as long, you know, uh, home health episodes are short. So continuity of care is not as critical. So if someone works for you for three months and then they, they pile out to another country or this or that. So first and foremost, we have to identify what our business model um, is the best fit for kind of coming back to that vision and mission who yeah. fits what our business model is. Are we transactional? Are we trans? relationship? Um, are we a hybrid? I will tell you this, in an outpatient private practice model, I personally am looking for a minimum commitment of 18 months. That's yeah. my, my kind of my model. Um, I can't expect someone to be here for five years anymore, even though I've had people that have worked for me for over 16 years. But that is far and few between. Yeah. Over the last, you know, 16 plus years, I've had over a 1000 clinicians as employees for me, just so you can think with that. Because at one point we had a workforce of over 400 plus employees and I personally downsized on purpose and I changed my model from transactional to trans relationship. Used to be like, if you had a license and yeah. you know what, like you're a therapist, great, you know, you're a professional. And especially as I think um, the profession has shifted in the last 10 years, I've recognized for me personally, transactional does not work as well as trans relationship for my models. Um, but I, I really, really think it's important to delineate in that sense. But I, again, I think you have to plan for, for continuity of care and what does your business model look like? So if you're in pediatrics, as an example, your episode of care is gonna be longer than maybe rehab. Yeah. That's longer than acute care. And so you may shift what that looks like. and there's a difference between are you a very niche-based practitioner, practitioner's office? And so you can't bring in like a hand therapy clinic. You can't bring in a CHT every day. So I need to attract CHTs for my hand clinic that are going to stick around because I'm going to be up, you know what, if yeah. I can't find <laughs> the right quality of, of clinician to match my referral sources, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. That helps. All right. So back to this multi-stage interview process. Um, I love the idea of getting kind of getting the, the money question out of the way right at the beginning. I think someone once told me, and I kind of, I think his name was Blair Ends talks about it for sure on his podcast, but he talks about the importance of having the money questions. Like those that don't talk about it, don't make it. <laughs> and it is the elephant yep. in the room. How honest are people on those um, on those questionnaires when they're starting the application? Like, do you find that they're kind of underinflating or maybe even overinflating things when they so, get into you or? So at the end of the day, when I ask that question, I put in parentheses, transparency and authenticity are key. So if someone comes in really high, I know what the market dictates, you know what the market dictates. Yeah. So if someone, so if my, if my role, I'm just going to throw a number out there. If my role was an $85,000 to $100,000 based on productivity, you know, role, yeah. and someone puts in 150, I'm not going to consider them. I'm never going to please them is my point. Yeah, if yeah. someone's chasing the highest pay, they're not my ideal public. So for me, this question is much about how real they are with compensation 
and what their intrinsic value is. Because something I learned along the way is someone who's chasing the highest dollar is never going to stick around. There's yeah. always going to be someone down the street, you know, oh, I just happened to run across the street and I found an extra $5 an hour. I need someone who is not just money motivated. And here's the other thing. I ask this question usually in interviews. Rafi, at what point are you satisfied at a ceiling? Because we reach a, a ceiling. And if they say, and I've had this a lot, especially like recently, I had this from a manager. I was working with one of my partner practices. And I said, you know, in the next five years, like what, what earning goal do you, are you setting for yourself? What are you trying? And she said, this was a speech language pathologist. She said, Brandon, like, honestly speaking, I go, be honest with me. She said, is there ever enough? And, and my component on that was, I said, there has to be, because we have a reimbursement that's declining. Yeah. So if you're never fulfilled financially, I'm always chasing something that I can't reach for you. Go on a practice, go create entrepreneurial, go, you know, at a certain point, unless you're opening clinics for me, unless I motivate you and say, look, I'll tell you what. And this is what I ended up doing, just so you know, with this, this, this therapist. I said, I'll tell you what, you're going to run our program. You're going to be responsible for all these therapists. You want endless earning potential, right? She said, yes. I said, when we hit this threshold, I'm going to give you a dollar per visit for every visit that we deliver above this threshold. So when we grow multi-clinics and all this stuff, you're over all of it. You're getting a dollar basically, you know, rev share on every yeah. visit we do. And that's the only way that I was able to satisfy someone who says I need endless earning potential. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very creative. I like that. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what I'm known for with when it comes to compensation is how do we create and get creative with our compensation where we limit our fixed expense? We actually limit our risk and we're putting a ton of upside on the variable. And so meaning that the more we do, the more they do, the more they win, whether that's profit sharing through retirement, whether that's bonuses, whether that's whatever that is. And so how do I meet their needs on a fixed level, but I push them to get their wants and their desires through action? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get back to creative conversation because I want to dive into that a little bit more here in the next few minutes. So yeah. Um, they fill out the questionnaire. You you then do what a phone screening with them or an email screening. That's what you said, right? So an email, yeah. So I want to see. So you fill it out. We're gonna play it. You you answer all my questions. Yeah. If you completed all the steps, and let's say I'm like, you know what? Like I have some question. I'm not ready to bring them in for an interview, or let me throw something at them, depending on what my what my need is. So if I need to hire yesterday, I may skip the email step and be like, I'm going to call you right away. And like, we're going to get you in because we're like burning down the fort for someone right now. Yeah. But if I have a little bit of wiggle room, I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to say, Hey, really interested in having you be considered for this role. Can you give me follow-up feedback on the following five questions? I need this by this date because I want to see if you can accomplish it within that period of time. Sample questions. So again, I'm trying to get to, um, when I ask questions, I'm trying to get to root cause of someone, not them telling me what I want to hear. And so to get to root cause, I have to trick them into being transparent and authentic. Yeah. So one of those questions that I asked, I had mentioned earlier, but I'm going to say it in a different way is, hey, Rafi, if I were to speak with your supervisor, 
tomorrow and I ask them, here's a thousand dollars to spend on Rafi's um, education. Where would you send them? What course would they send you to? That's a way for me to evaluate just in that question, how they think their supervisor evaluates their needs to clinically grow, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tricksy, so I like it. How do we trick people in? So those email questions, it's sometimes it's things like that. Another question I might ask in this email is, hey, everyone's got a different motor. If you're working 40 hours a week, how many hours of direct patient care are you seeking to treat in that 40-hour window? So I can understand, are they a 75%, a 60%, an 80%? How much time do they want to spend in direct patient care versus indirect? And then building on that, um, you know, sometimes I'll say, what kind of availability are you looking for? Are you looking to work a nine to five? Are you working late, late hours, four tens? And again, we're, we're trying to build in this arena of what their needs, wants, desires are. Because the more aligned our role is with them, or if it's not aligned, the easier this is. And so what I'm trying to do is I am creating a magnetic force. And my magnetic force is helping me do two things. What does a magnet do? Oh, it attracts a couple it, metals, right? Iron, cobalt, and attracts, nickel for the scientists out there. <laughs> and pushes away. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So I'm trying to attract the right people to my organization, and I'm trying to push away those that are not right. Yeah. So hey, I want to work 20 hours a week, patient care. I want to get paid for 40. I'm pushing that away. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So that's the idea. And then from that email interview, we set up, and whether it's a, a phone interview or or in person. Usually what I'll do is I'll do, again, I'll do a video screen, a video interview, step three video interview. We're on Zoom, we're meeting, I get to see body language, you get to see how I work, et cetera. Um, and, and then traditionally in this case, um, I'm gonna get your, your story. I'm gonna say, hey, tell me what brought you, what, what drives you, what your motivation is, what went wrong in your last employment? What are the things that did not go right? What regrets have you had in the last five years professionally that if you could do something different, you would do it different. And if I wouldn't do it different, but you learned from it, what are things you learned from? From there, seems like fits going in the right direction on that video interview, I follow up with, I just wanna make sure we're on the same page. Here's compensation, what you're looking for. Here's the type of demographics you're looking for. Here's what your ideal job is. Is anything that I'm duplicating right now not correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. Sounds great, Brandon. Okay. This is what we want to do. We want to bring you in. You're going to meet with our HR director. You're going to get to go in. You're going to spend two hours in this organization and you're going to get to feel what it looks like. When you're done, we're going to meet again. And you're going to tell me everything that you observed, everything that you liked, et cetera. We're going to revisit what an offer would look like, make sure that it's in agreement. And from there, We'll meet with our team, leadership team, et cetera, and everything goes right, then we present a formal offer. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm, I'm a big fan of, it's the same as thing as almost like B2B sales, right? Like it's just two professionals trying to determine if there's a right fit. You know, yep. a fit suitable enough to take the next step. At any point in this process, are you opening it up to the candidate to say, listen, this is what you're telling me. You know, this is what the position is. Is these are the responsibilities, the potential payout, whatever. Um, do you have any concerns, or are you just kind of hoping that this process kind of screens those those candidates out? 
Well, in this process, the more that I hear, the more that I can identify and elude, I don't think this is a right fit. Yeah. So I recruit a lot of the times, um, I have different companies. And so whether it be administratively, whether it be clinically, whatever, um, I will, I will basically say, hey, you know, I'm hearing that you really want a structured environment. I'm going to be honest with you. I know you applied for this early intervention job, and I know that you're, you're intrigued by it and you like the public, but you're going to be better off in a clinic or a hospital or whatnot. And I will actually just be transparent and I'll stop it. I don't wait till the end. To, if, if I'm going to ring the bell that they're done sooner than later if, they're, yeah. if I see out points. Because the reality is, is people's natural tendency is they don't want to fail. They want to earn it. And then they want to yeah. play jobs against each other. I'm not waiting for that. I'm, I'm going through a dating process. And it's like in that dating process, if, if I know that there is a deal breaker, like I want to have kids and they don't want to have kids. Sorry, ring, ring, ring. Like, I don't want you to, to learn to want kids. You either yeah. want kids or you don't, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> okay. So you bring him in, you do that, you give him the offer. You're talking about an 18 month, especially in private practice, 18 month commitment kind of at the onboarding. We've gotten through the recruitment process. They're now on our team. What are the, what are the steps we take from there? Like, what do we do to ensure that next 18 months is golden for them and good for the organization? So the first thing first in a perfect world is that, I, and I just did it this morning with a clinic in uh, Houston. I actually named at least the first 12 months of pay increases. Okay. So I already did, like, I was like, I'm, so I'll give you an example. You're getting 40 an hour for your first three months. We're going to do a 90 day review. If you miss no time, if you hit your quotas, if everything's going good, you're going to go from 40 to 42.50. Great. At six months, we're going to do another. And at 12 months, we're going to do another. So that you already know where that, that earning potential is. Then what we want to do, so they already know the compensation is what they're signing on. There's already this idea of like, I've got my trajectory of pay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also do like at 12 months, I'll do a retention bonus. At 18 months, they can sign on for another 18 months with a big payoff at that point. Um, so again, money talks, I hate to say it, but we've got to motivate people in those ways. We've got to get creative in that. But then the other thing I need to do is I need to name goals. So, you know, they're, they're the, the original founder of um, Zappos wrote a book, Tony Sai. I can't say his name right, but um, it, it's an incredible book and, and I love it. And one of the things he talks about is happiness in the workplace. And there are three things that are required for you to have happy, engaged employees provided they're happy in their own life and they're the right fit. They have to be the right fit, yeah. but they have to feel connected. So that's the first thing. They have to be part of a team. They have to feel connected. They have to be part of a group. You got to build that culture of connectivity. There's got to be a purpose and they have to align with that purpose. So mission and values, they got to be intrinsically motivated by that purpose. But here's the third thing, and this is the most important thing possible. They must feel on a regular basis progress. If they don't feel progress, they feel complacent. People that... that. So when I am setting my onboarding process, we name progress for them. Progress in pay, progress in continuing education, progress and goals, milestones, and things that they name with you. So here are your milestones that you're gonna set forth. 
Think of it like we're doing a clinical treatment plan for a patient, but we're doing it for a career plan for an employee. If we name our plan of care for our employees where they see, recognize, and feel progress on every level, they feel connected and they are aligned with a higher purpose, I guarantee you they will stay unless something, God forbid, happens like my partner got relocated or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But in most circumstances, they're going to stay when those things all come together. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. So then let's talk about some of those uh, creative compensation yeah. strategies that are out there. I mean, for the most part, you get people that'll say, you know, this is your hourly rate, or, you know, if it's salaried and this is how many hours you're going to work, yada, yada, yada. How can we start thinking about this a little differently, especially in the private practice world where we've got a little bit of leeway to be kind of innovative mm -hmm. in this space? Yeah. So first and foremost, I want you all to understand that every company is different. And I don't treat any practice the same. I have 25 different ways to solve this. Um, they're just different ways. And so first and foremost, we have to understand our business model. What's our profit margin? What's our revenue? Are we a 30 minute clinic? Are we a 60 minute clinic? Are we an assistant clinic, an aid clinic, a home care? What, what are the things? So those all factor in. Then we look at, so something, I don't like exempt salary unless someone's going to work over 40 hours a week. So you may not like that I say this, and you may say, Brandon, you're a capitalist in this, and I'm a purpose-driven capitalist. I'm being honest. And I am not a greedy capitalist. I share, I love, I push to all. But here's my viewpoint. If you don't want to work over 40 hours a week, then there's no point in me making you salaried. The whole point of salary, exempt salary, is to prevent paying overtime. So I would much rather say, hey, I'll pay you whatever that is, uh, you know, for your time. And then we layer bonus and productivity on top of that. But if you say, look, I want to crush it. I want to make $130,000 a year. You show me how to do that. And I say, how hard are you willing to work? And you say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, Brennan. You're willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. So then in that circumstance, I may say, we're going to exempt salaries. And what we're going to do is we're going to create a base compensation that they feel comfortable at, but not satisfied. Comfortable and satisfied yeah. are two different things. So in this circumstance, we're going to take a circumstance. I'm going to say we're going to deal with an outpatient rehab clinic. And it's a physical therapy clinic. And, what, and this person wants to make about 130 grand. Okay. So I'm going to say we're going to put you at a $75,000 salary. That's your base. That's where your foundation is. So we're give or take about 65% of the way of their target goal. So they can survive off 75 grand, yeah. comfort, but they're already ready to work, whatever it takes to get it done. Then what we're going to do is we're going to name our productivity incentives. Sometimes what I do is I do per pay period bonuses so that they see it in real time. So, hey, I'm going to give you when we exceed 25 billable hours, I'm just throwing a number out there you're gonna get above that threshold, 25 and above, you're gonna get $25 an hour for every hour you deliver and beyond, whatever that is. And I'm just throwing numbers out there. I have to work it out in detail with, with you. But the idea is that they basically hit a threshold and they cash in like it's a, a, like, a like they're gambling in Vegas. It's like, oh my yeah. God, I hit the bullseye. So, and then there's two, 
two tiers of thresholds, sometimes three tiers. And basically what we're usually doing, I'm just being transparent, depending on the setting is we're going, pediatrics is different. So pediatric therapist is below this, but when we're dealing with adults, we're looking at like 80, 85, 90% productivity are usually three tiers. And when we hit those tiers within a pay period, they cash in. Another way that I sometimes do it, which is a little bit different, is I divide it into monthly goals. And I set an 11 month goal and I give them 12 months to achieve it. And there's payouts and then an earnout potential at the end of 12 months as well. What that does is that gives them goals where if they have a bad month, they still have 12 months to basically complete 11 months because I'm gonna be transparent. No one works really 12 months in today's environment. There is 11 months of extreme production potential. And yeah. so if you give someone an 11 month goal and give them 12 months to achieve it, usually they're gonna hit a lot of success. I have taken people from making 85, $95,000 salaries, cut them down to 65 and they've made a hundred grand through bonuses and whatever, but they have to have the motor, they have to have the desire and they have to thrive in that environment of playing a game and reaching goals. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. yeah, so how easy is it to like take somebody who's used to just their nine to five salaried employment and convert them to something like that. Is it one of those like this person needs to be on the edge of leaving or maybe they've already expressed some desire. They've come to you and been like, okay, listen, I'm kind of getting bored or I'm tapping out. I'm ready for something else. Like, is there, is there a point that this, this works when it's not just onboarding a new clinician, but let's say, uh, not a, what do they call it? Not a legacy clinician, but someone that's been there for a while. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in all transparency, you may say, look, you've reached your capacity. How do I get them to earn that next stage of growth? And maybe that's how we uh, create a new transition plan. Sometimes it's a matter of saying to someone who's existing and say, look, um, the more risk you take on, the more pay potential you have. So the lower your fixed expense, the more upside I can incentivize you. Um, the other thing that I'm a big believer in is, um, so a couple things. I wanna talk really quick about benefits because I think everyone talks about benefits and how important benefits are. And yeah. one of my companies, I have you know 70 or 80 employees. So we offer the health, the medical, the dental, the vision, the everything. But I'm gonna be transparent. If you're under 25 employees, you're actually, in my opinion, doing a disservice in offering healthcare coverage because your group plans that you're offering in most cases are higher premiums than if they just went directly to the market and got it themselves. Yeah. So there is a pre-tax benefit, but sometimes what I'll do with smaller practices is I will give them what I call as a benefit stipend. So I'm like, look, you may be able to get benefits through your husband, your wife, your, your this, your that. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do a $500 benefit stipend per month for you. You can put it towards licensure renewal, towards health benefits, towards whatever you want. It's a $6,000 budget a, a year and it. it allows you to put a dollar value on it because people don't put a dollar value on health benefits right now. They're just like, well, they're willing to offer me 100% coverage. Well, they're a hospital. Yeah, That's totally exactly. different. You're not gonna get that in private practice. So I think we have to do a better job of monetizing a total package so that people understand not just the net value they're getting, but the expense value they're getting. And so I actually do individual profit and loss statements for every single employee to show them, here's the bottom line. This is what we're going with. This is where we're spending on you. 
right now I have a budget. And so normally I say, ideally, in an ideal world for a clinician, you can have 50% of whatever you generate just in reimbursement. Like I'm happy to, like in my world, if you're doing direct one-on-one -on -one care, 50% you can have it. If you're generating 150 an hour, I'm willing to give you fee-for-service exchange 75 an hour. I have nothing to lose in that 50%. My total cost for you though, when all is said and done, needs to be around 60% of your revenue. When I'm getting to 70% of, of your revenue is going to you, I'm in trouble because it's really hard to operate a profitable business with 30% differential between my yeah. therapist production and the revenue, unless I'm like at crazy scale. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So um, we've got a little bit of time left then, but before we, you just kind of piqued my interest with this whole budgeting idea. So you're talking, we need to, we need to have clinicians that are billing out and maybe that differential being like 40%, right? 40%, so 50%, yeah. for someone that's just starting out and maybe hiring that first employee, does that mm -hmm. number look different than somebody, like you said, that's kind of at scale. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe let's say they're at that 25 mark, 25 employees. Yep. It does totally that number kind of, different. yeah. So the idea is that you're, budgeting in what mentorship is worth, what training, yeah. we put a value in all of this. So in year one, you're getting $25,000 worth of mentorship value. That's part of why you're coming in. I yeah. can't just throw you into my clinic and have you produce, you know, that that's just the reality of this. So I build out that profit and loss so that they understand. And everyone's afraid to show numbers. And my viewpoint is, is what do we have to lose? Like, I'm being honest, like, the more real we are with people, if we have the right people, like I can show you, you know, I'm billing 150 an hour. I want to bring 25% net profit in my clinic. I'm just being straight. Otherwise it's not worth me doing what I do. Um, I always say 20 to 25%. Now there are people that take on more, but in most cases, 20 to 25% net profit. Now that doesn't include your salary to run the clinic and all these different things, yeah. but that's what we're going for. And normally what I'll do is I'll build a retirement or a profit sharing component where I do a discretionary match. And I say, look, the first 5% of net profit goes into this bucket. And this bucket gets divided into our leaders and our leaders bucket. And it takes five years to get into our leaders bucket. That's a way also to create kind of that incentive to work within the group of when you reach five years, you get into the leadership bucket of 5% profit sharing divided up between our leaders. Yeah. Uh, that's great for long-term incentive too. That's awesome. Um, well, wow, we're, we're nearing the top here. So um, no thanks so much for being on the show, but yeah. let's just say you've got one or two main points you want a listener to walk away with. Yep. Um, what would they be? Okay. Number one, we recruit for mindset first, not skill set. Skill yeah. sets trainable. Mindset is organic. We need exactly, to get the yeah. right organic component. Number two is we need to not be afraid to have wait lists. We need to recruit for culture and put the quality of hire more important than just filling a seat. And number three is we need to get strategic with our numbers so that we have co-creation and shared risk with everyone in our organization so that people win on a regular basis in your organization based on the growth of the company. Awesome. That's great. Well, Brandon, thanks so much. If people want to learn more about you, learn more about your work, where can they find you? You can go to www.wellnessworksmanagementpartners.com. You can go to brandonsiegel.com. 
You can listen to the Private Practice Survival Guide podcast. My book is in stores all over called the Private Practice Survival Guide. And uh, I'm here to co-create with everyone and, and just appreciate the opportunity to be here. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brandon Siegel talking about HR, recruitment, retention, compensation strategies, incentives, all of that kind of good stuff. Listening back, I think one of the things that stuck out to me most, and I know I've written about this a little bit and you understand this intuitively, but being somebody that's also running a facility or running an organization, it can be very difficult when you're in crunch time or growth mode to think about deferring revenue, if you would, in order to hire and wait for a candidate that comes along that's the right cultural fit. Um, there's always the idea, at least I am the eternal optimist when it comes to, to hiring and people in general. I try to think the best of people. And I have done this a couple of times where I've hired somebody thinking that in the back of my mind, there's not an issue, but the, the cultural fit doesn't seem quite right. And I think to myself, well, we just give this person a little bit of time. They get into know our, our, our other staff members and our clients, and you know they'll, they'll kind of get on board. And most of the time, it doesn't work out, right? They end up um, having difficulties and end up leaving on their own accord, or they end up getting terminated or something like that because the, the cultural fit wasn't, wasn't there at the beginning. And it can be very difficult to try to defer that or, or think about deferring that revenue and kind of holding off on scaling or growth because you're waiting for the right people, right? I was just in a, a business meeting last week with five or six different industries represented. It was a, a group of, of CEOs and executives from our local area, and there were you know five or six different industries represented. You had network technology and healthcare and, and even construction and real estate development. And all of them were complaining about or talking about the difficulty in finding good people to work in their organization. Many many of them were saying that there's, it, there's just no, the workforce is depleted, right? <laughs> there, just, there just aren't that many people looking for work in their, in their industries. And then one or two of them said something along the lines of, well, there's there's a difficulty in finding somebody that fits our organization's um, standards. But across the board, there, there was not a discussion about making sure that the people that they were hiring or looking for were in line with the organizational culture that they have established. A lot of it was like, we've got work that needs to be done and we need to hire somebody to do the work. And at some level, I understand that. Um, and especially somebody like myself now who I've picked up this clinic, we purchased it at the tail end of 2020. When we bought it, there were two and a half employees that worked there and now we're up to 10. And you know, we, we grew from you know, three new client visits a month upwards of now we're doing you know, 40 and 50 a month, doing close to 600 visits a month. Like we've just grown pretty quickly in the last you know year. And I remember there have been times throughout the last year where I'm looking at the backlog of, of leads or prospective clients that are coming in the door of this clinic thinking, man, I really, really need to hire somebody in order to get these clients in, right? To get them on the schedule. And the, the couple times that I have made the exception of 
hiring somebody who may not have been a good cultural fit, but they were competent and qualified and they could do the quote unquote, the technical work, the technical skills, it's, it has not worked out. And it's not because that individual was, you know, a bad person or just a, a poor employee. It wasn't any of that. It was just that culturally it didn't fit the way we, the way we viewed healthcare, the way we viewed service delivery, maybe didn't line up with the way they did or, or something along the lines. Maybe it was, maybe it was a, an issue around scheduling or even as Brandon was talking about uh, compensation and, and how we, how we structured that. It always seems to end up in the long run costing you more you know, it, originally you think, man, I'm going to get somebody in quickly. I'm not going to defer any of this revenue. I'm going to realize these, uh, you know, these plans of care that we're, we're putting these clients on. But in the long run, if you end up having to, re, you know, there's turnover and you end up having to recruit and onboard and orient a new clinician to the organization, it ends up costing more money in the long run, right? So it was just, it's funny because, you know, she, he, he was talking about that a lot. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking about, you know, some of the hiring decisions we've got to make here proactive in the next coming over the, the next couple of months thinking like, oh man, I just have to remember again, like we're hiring for culture and for fit because again, it can be very, especially if you're an optimist like me to think that we're going to get somebody in here who's a good technical provider, a good competent clinician, and we're going to, to just train them or indoctrinate them into our view or philosophy of care and it'll all work out. And um, obviously, sometimes sometimes you need to just defer and hire somebody who's a good fit for the organization. So that's all my thoughts on that. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Um, you can subscribe at www.betteroutcomes.show or heading over to rehabupracticesolutions.com, clicking on the tab for podcast and signing up. We shoot over a the show notes and the links to um, the guests and how to connect with all them in the inbox whenever we drop the episodes. And we tend to drop them every other week consistently. And then sometimes you'll get a, a bonus episode in the off weeks. So um, that is all I've got about the podcast to do all the things like us, share us, review us, right? Um, and if you are a clinic owner, administrator, or organizational leader, and you want to fill your organization with clients that are engaged and participatory in their plans of care and who also value the services that your organization provides to them, um, head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com and learn more about how we help clients in your situation. We help you attract, engage, and retain more clients. So until the next time, everyone, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com 
We'll catch you on the next episode.